Hello, my name is Ben McNaughton. I'm a consultant paediatrician working here in the Royal Belfast Hospital for Sick Children and I have a special interest in paediatric respiratory medicine. I'd like to talk to you today about troubleshooting tracheostomies in the emergency setting. Why have I chosen this topic? Well, picture the scenario. You're working as a paediatric trainee in a busy tertiary paediatric emergency department. It's 8 o'clock in the morning and you're coming towards the end of a night shift. It's middle of winter, it's busy, and RSV is rife. The day team haven't yet arrived, but you've got the department cleared up and you're going to get some tea and toast. When suddenly the triage nurse calls and says that they have a one-year-old who has presented the triage. They've got a background of X-linked myotubular myopathy. They have a tracheostomy in situ and are on long-term ventilation and their saturations are in the mid-80s. What are you going to do? There is a degree of assumed knowledge around tracheostomies. And whilst those of us who work in respiratory, ENT, um, or, or paediatric intensive care or high dependency units may be familiar with them, actually the reality is that a lot of medics panic um, when, we, when we're forced to deal with tracheostomies. Partly because we don't get teaching or training in their management, and also because often it's parents and nurses who have done the basic troubleshooting before we are asked to see these children. The problem is, by definition, these are airway issues and therefore need dealt with in a structured but also a time-efficient manner. The aim of this talk is to provide you some of the basic background knowledge around tracheostomies and also to provide you with a structured approach that will help, hopefully help um, in situations where you need to um, manage a child in the emergency setting with a tracheostomy issue. It's estimated that approximately 1,000 to 1,200 tracheostomies are performed in children and young people in England each year. In Northern Ireland, we have a total of 45 patients with tracheostomies. The vast majority are performed under the age of four years, with a third being performed before the first birthday and over two-thirds of all tracheostomies in children and young people being performed before the fourth birthday. The case series is which suggests that um, there is a higher tense proportion of males who will, end, who will have a tracheostomy. This is almost certainly due to um, their susceptibility to genetic, particularly X-linked um, conditions. The indications for performing a tracheostomy have evolved over the years. With vaccinations and improved anaesthetic skills and equipment, the number of emergency tracheostomies that we're performing for acute upper airway obstruction is much less than it had been in the past. Um, and th there has definitely been a change in the, in, in the indications uh, and, and why we perform these. Often tracheostomies are now performed in a semi-elective manner. These follow prolonged admissions to hospital and multiple discussions between the various members of the multidisciplinary team, families of these patients and when appropriate the patients themselves. There are three main reasons as to why we may choose to insert a tracheostomy. The first is where we have actual or anticipated need for long-term ventilation. The second is for management of bronchopulmonary secretions, for example in patients with bulbar palsy. The third is when we have the presence of a fixed upper airway obstruction. This may be something like subglottic stenosis, um, vocal cord palsy, tumours, or congenital upper airway abnormalities. Whether tracheostomy is potentially reversible will really depend on the indication for the initial insertion. 
but when possible we do like to proceed to decannulation and this is more likely to be in cases where there is a reversible, treatable or acquired pathology. In terms of performing a tracheostomy, it's usually fashioned by making an incision in the anterior tracheal wall over the level of the second or third tracheal cartilage. One of the major differences between paediatrics and adults is that paediatric tracheostomy insertion is generally performed via an open surgical technique. In adults, there is a tendency towards percutaneous insertion. Insertion of tracheostomies in children is more difficult. The trachea is small, it's pliable, it can be difficult to palpate, um, it's more difficult to navigate the um, neck and head vessels, um, and it can be pluri-extended into the neck. So therefore, um, surgical, open surgical procedure is generally the method of choice. When the tracheostomy is uh, formed, um, or the, the, sorry, the stoma is formed and tracheostomy inserted, the wound will normally have what are known as stay sutures. These are long sutures that come from the stoma or the wound and are taped to the child's chest. And the purpose of these stay sutures is really to try and maintain the patency of the stoma in the uh, event that there was an accidental dislodgement or, or that the tracheostomy needs changed sooner than anticipated after initial insertion. In an ideal world, the first tracheostomy change will be performed by the ENT team and normally between days three and day seven our tendency is to leave it towards day seven when possible. Unfortunately, complications due to tracheostomies are common. Um, there have been a number of um, studies looking at, at learning from critical incidents that have arisen from complications associated with tracheostomies. And a number of measures and recommendations have been put in place to try um, and, and prevent um, these occurring. National Tracheostomy Safety Project uh, is an initiative which seeks to form collaboration or encourage collaboration between professionals, patients and their families and also to promote good tracheostomy practice. Their website is www.tracheostomy.org.uk um, and on their website they have some excellent resources for both professionals and parents and families. The, um, they, in 2018 they published the multidisciplinary guidelines for the management of paediatric tracheostomy emergencies and these provide a really good succinct summary um, of the approach to the child in the emergency setting. Definitely worth reading if you want to do some further CPD in this area. One of the recommendations that had been made with regards to trying to prevent um, complications with tracheostomies is the simple measures of placing a bedside sign around the bed space. Examples of these can be seen in the slide. The, the NTSP have, a, have two examples on their website which are free to download and to use. One for a patient with a new tracheostomy and one for a patient with an existing tracheostomy. These contain important information about the type of tracheostomy, the size, depth of suction and also the presence of any upper airway abnormalities and provide a useful simple point of reference at the bedside. Another simple recommendation which has been made to try and reduce adverse outcomes secondary to complications is that patients with tracheostomies should carry a tracheostomy case. Slideshow is an example of those that we use in Northern Ireland. These cases contain um, some generic products such as tapes and scissors, but they will also have some individualized um, equipment such as tracheostomies um, ideally sized for that patient. 
these are should go with these patients anywhere they go and don't be afraid to use these in an emergency. That's what they're there for, to make sure that you have the right equipment at hand in an emergency setting, even if that is in a hospital. Often it can be difficult to locate tracheostomies out of ours, therefore don't be afraid to use these. Other recommendations that have been made include making sure that staff are appropriately trained and that there are appropriate guidelines um, and policies available um, at, at hand. What we have started to do in Northern Ireland is to print off the, the algorithm for the, uh, for the management of a paediatric tracheostomy emergency and tape it to the inside cover of the trachea cases. Again, it's there as a point of reference in the emergency setting. Just want to talk briefly about the different types of tracheostomy that you might encounter. There are slight variations across, um, um, well, across the UK, I guess, and, and further afield in terms of what, what um, tubes we use. These would be the three most common that we would see and we would use in Northern Ireland. It's worth chatting to your ENT team and respiratory colleagues to get a feel for what you use in your particular hospital and also then um, to get familiar with the, the devices themselves. First tube that we would commonly use are Shiley tubes. These are what we would most commonly use uh, at the initial insertion. They're um, PVC, they need change weekly and they're single use and disposable. They do come in a variety of sizes, paediatric and neonatal, and they can come as either cuffed or uncuffed. The second most common type we would use would be the Bivona Flex End. Um, these are siliconized PVC. They have a slightly longer stretch here uh, length to, to the tube itself, which is ideal for those patients who are on long-term ventilation or babies with, short, with um, sort of big heads, short necks, um, as it's more comfortable. These don't need changed as often, they can be changed every 28 days and can be reused up to five times. Again, they come in a variety of sizes and can come as uncuffed or cuffed. We're increasingly using tracheal twist tubes. Um, now these are, tend to be used more in our adolescent group. Um, one of the benefits of these is that they have a swivel neck plate for maximum mobility and also they have an inner tube which is, can be easily taken out in the case of a suspected blockage and replaced. In terms of the general principles, we tend to prefer uncuffed tracheostomies in, in children. Um, although a cuff, an inflated cuff, may prevent or help to reduce the risk of aspiration, the small diameter of the trachea can mean that the cuff can cause um, local trauma. And also, there is the concern that in a situation where the tracheostomy gets blocked, the presence of a cuff means that there is no air able to get up, either, up or down either side of the tracheostomy. Uh, and, can, and therefore um, a blocked tracheostomy can become a more urgent situation. In terms of the use of the inner tubes, while it's useful for the adolescent population, tracheostomy diameters are so small in younger children that the use of a smaller inner tube as well would narrow that down further um, and it's just not practical. You may have seen some devices such as these on the end of a tracheostomy. These are heat moisture exchangers. One of the challenges we run into with children with tracheostomies is that by breathing through a tracheostomy you bypass the natural flow of air through the mouth and nose and the humidification effect that comes from that. And therefore children with tracheostomies without appropriate management tend to get thick secretions which can lead to tube blockages. Heat moisture exchangers can be attached to the end of the tracheostomy to try and encourage that humidification process. And otherwise we try to manage that with the use of regular saline nebulizers and also um, by, using, by ensuring that the children are taking an adequate 
fluid intake. So that's a little bit of the background to tracheostomies. Let's go back to this case. So it's a one-year-old, X-linked myotubular myopathy, tracheostomy in situ on long-term ventilation. And the triage nurse gives you some further information that they've been staying at the hospice where they've been for respite. The hospice staff have increased their NIV settings to the secondary or unwell settings, but they haven't done anything with the tracheostomy. You suspect that there might be a problem with the tracheostomy, but what could have gone wrong? Well, there's a range of potential causes for um, issues with the tracheostomy, and we tend to divide those complications into three major groups. Perioperative complications, early post-operative complications, and that's generally the period less than seven days following insertion, or late post-operative complications. Or, or the perioperative complications include hemorrhage, pneumothorax, tube occlusion, a misplaced tube, or surgical emphysema. Early post-op um, complications might include tube blockage or tube displacement, a site infection or a lower respiratory tract infection, tracheal ulceration, fistula or hemorrhage, and a late post-op complication, which is almost inevitably certainly what, what we're seeing in this particular case, might be granuloma, and the picture demonstrates um, some granulomatous tissue uh, at this stoma, tracheal collapse, tracheal stenosis, hemorrhage, or a blocked tube. As mentioned, the National Tracheostomy Safety, um, Safety Project have provided a, a really useful algorithm for the structured approach to paediatric emergencies, uh, tracheostomy emergencies, and these should be readily available at any bedside or any space clinical area where patients with tracheostomies are being managed. Don't forget the bubbles also provide a, a really useful case-based um, discussion looking at uh, entitled crash course in tracheostomies which talks you through the management of the acute, the unwell child with the tracheostomy. Both worth a visit. So in this situation, when you're asked to see this patient, the first thing I would recommend is shouting for help. No matter how experienced we are, this is a situation where extra pairs of hands are going, only going to help, particularly if it comes in terms of holding the patient or you want to do any work with the tracheostomy itself. Consider liaising early with anaesthetics and ENT. Um, and again, with any airway management, with any airway issue, these teams are probably likely to prefer to know early rather than at a later stage. Most trusts and, and, and clinical um, areas will have an emergency on-call airway team. Again, useful to try and find out how you contact them in an emergency should it be needed in your area of work. One of the most important things you can do in this situation, and although it seems basic, is basic airway opening manoeuvres. Head tilt, chin lift, jaw thrust, or using a roll under the neck and the shoulders to try and open up the airways. In reality, children with tracheostomies and breathing difficulties often have it secondary to clots, um, mucus plugging, or positioning. Obviously, if a child has a, a tracheostomy for a fixed upper airway obstruction, this might not make a big difference. But in the likes of this case, where we're assuming we can't say there isn't an upper airway obstruction, but we're assuming that the tracheostomy has been put in for long-term ventilation, position in the airway may actually help to open up the airways. The next step then is to apply oxygen and the difference I guess with a child with a tracheostomy is that we would recommend applying oxygen both over the mouth and nose but also over the tracheostomy itself as shown in the picture. Following the application of oxygen what we need to do at this stage is to work out whether or not the tube the tracheostomy tube itself is patent. 
bagging to do this is not recommended as if there is a blockage there, trying to ventilate through it could cause surgical emphysema. So the ideal method for doing this is to try and pass the suction catheter. Sometimes if there is a small um, plug, actually passing the suction catheter can re remove that um, and provide suction and allow you to oxygenate and ventilate through the tracheostomy. In this case, however, when we try to pass the suction catheter down the tracheostomy, we have significant resistance and we can't advance the suction catheter. So my question for you at this stage is, what do we do next? I'd like you to go over to the YouTube chat and take a, a minute to write in what you think the next, most appropriate next course of action is. And I'll give you a few seconds to do that. So I hope that most of you have decided that it's time we need to change the tracheostomy. Um, for those of us who are not familiar with changing the tracheostomy, this can be um, difficult. Um, the actual procedure itself shouldn't be too challenging if the stoma is well formed. The hardest thing sometimes is making that decision to do it. So the next question I have for you, and again I want you to go over the YouTube chat and put your answer in, is we're going to change the tracheostomy. What's our first port of call in terms of replacing the tracheostomy? Do we A, go for a tracheostomy which is half a size smaller than the original tracheostomy. B, use a suction catheter to try as a guide to insert a tracheostomy which is half a size smaller than the original tracheostomy. Or C, try initially the same size of tracheostomy. Again, if you could answer, put your answers in the YouTube chat, A, B or C. So the general accepted practice would be that we would have a maximum of three attempts at replacing the tracheostomy. First attempt that's generally accepted would be, uh, would be to use a tracheostomy of the same size. If you try to insert this and it goes in easily, then you need to again assess patency by looking and feeding it over the tracheostomy and using a suction catheter to assess for patency. If not, then a second attempt should be made using a tracheostomy which is half a size smaller than the original tracheostomy. This might make insertion easier. It is important, however, to also rethink about your airway positioning and maybe take steps to try and uh, reposition your airway and bring your trachea to a more anterior position. If you're unsuccessful with the second tracheostomy insertion with the half size smaller, then it's recommended for a third attempt that you use a suction catheter through the stoma and try to railroad the tracheostomy, again, half a size smaller over the, the suction catheter almost like a cell dinginger technique that we would use for other procedures. In this scenario, unfortunately, you're unsuccessful. We're un unable to reinsert the tracheostomy and patient's oxygen saturations are dropping and the respiratory rate is also falling. So what do we do next? Well, the next step then is to resort to primary emergency oxygenation and ventilation. And there's two ways we can do that. One is to cover the stoma, either with our hand or with the dressing, and try to oxygen or ventilate um, via the um, via bag valve mask or a over the face and nose, you know, mouth and nose, or else using a supraglottic airway. The second is to try and use the stoma um, and to ventilate through it using a bag valve mask or an LMA, as demonstrated in the pictures. In this case, as we're bagging through uh, using a, a bag valve mask over the stoma, the oxygen saturations improve we are able to ventilate and at that moment the ENT reg conveniently arrives and asks what's all the fuss about. 
But had we not been able to get a response to that, then we may need to resort to more invasive uh, procedures. Again, we have two options in this stage. The first, uh, and what we would recommend as a first line, would be to try oral uh, intubation. It's important to prepare for a difficult intubation, and we'd recommend choosing an ET tube, which is a half size smaller than the original tracheostomy. Successfully inserted, it's important as well to, to note that the ET tube should be advanced beyond the level of the stoma. The other option, and again, it's technically challenging, particularly in younger children, is to use is to try and intubate through the stoma itself. One of the concerns with this is that actually by blind, blindly uh, intubating through the stoma, it's very easy to create a false passage. Um, and therefore, um, in an ideal scenario, this would be performed by somebody with airway expertise and, and other options other, or tools such as um, fiber optic guidance may be of benefit to try and uh, assist with, with achieving this um, in, in, the, in the best and, and safest possible way. So that's a brief run through some of the basic principles uh, underpinning tracheostomies and also the structured approach to the child with a tracheostomy in the emergency setting. Some key take-home messages really relate to the indications for tracheostomy um, and these are most commonly inserted for the use of long-term ventilation, for allowing um, management of secretions or for fixed upper airway obstruction. It's important to note that sometimes the simple, cheap methods are some of the most effective in improving outcomes and the use of bedside signs um, and um, tracheostomy cases can help um, to reduce adverse outcomes in, in these emergencies. The National Tracheostomy Safety Project um, have clear guidelines for the structured approach to the um, paediatric emergency, uh, or child with um, tracheostomy emergency and I would certainly recommend that these should be readily available in areas where these children are being cared for. And if you would like to find out more, as mentioned, the, the NTSP and don't forget the bubbles resources are excellent for further learning around tracheostomies. I'd like to thank you for your time um, and I'm more than happy to take any questions that, that um, have arisen in the chat in the panel discussion that follows. Thank you.